Do I look okay? You look fine. What do you... Not not my personhood. <laughs> not just my person look okay. Do my levels look okay? My microphone levels. Oh, yeah. My volume. Yeah, that looks My good. volume's okay? Your volume... <laughs> yes, your volume looks fabulous. I guess I should say, do I sound okay? Yes. But it's because you're looking at the bars. Yep. So Y'all, far, we so know good. so much about audio. <laughs> <laughs> We're like professionals. <sighs> All right, speaking of, here we go. This is Be Createful, a podcast about how we find fullness through creativity. I'm Joe. And I'm Madison. And today on episode 38, we are discussing creative cliches. Creative cliches. I also just have to say, Madison has been gone for basically a day and a half. I could hardly stand it. Uh, well, it's good to be back. Or two, wait. It's like two and a half days. You were gone all day Wednesday yes. and all day Thursday. Yeah. Okay, so two full days. That makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> I did get work done, but barely. I don't know how. No, you did. You finished lots of stuff like graphics and oh, got yeah. stuff sent off. I got taxes paid. I got a painting worked on. <laughs> but I missed you. Yeah. Oh, I didn't sweet. have Sonic while you were gone. Oh my, I was fully expecting you to send me a picture of Sonic. Like, mm, if only you were here. No, it doesn't. It's not the same. It's like the same reason I don't get Sonic on the weekend. Oh, yeah. It's th- it's just something about bringing it back for you or you going and getting it and having it for both of us. I don't know. It's just like, it's what we do. <laughs> it's our office culture. And yes. it felt weird to practice office culture b- alone. Yeah. Google has their segues, but no one segues alone. There's always a... You know, other people segueing around. Oh. I okay. <laughs> I understand what you're saying now, but I thought you meant how Google is always changing their cert, like their homepage. Oh no, that's cool. And then they seg. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking a segue from like one thing into another, like, like a transition. Yeah, like they'll have you know into May, then they're gonna segue their Google <laughs> search engine to have like flowers and thunderstorms. <laughs> I'm with you now. Bless. We're off to a very uh very uh good start today we have all the direction in the world (laughs) well um and we're recording in the afternoon and that is very different for us yes normally we record in the mornings i just got in this morning and so i went straight from my trip ate some lunch and then came here it does mean since we're recording in the afternoon it's less likely that the ups man will interrupt our recording by bringing us a package okay so (sighs) cliches there's a couple of ways we thought about this. Yes. Um, so the first one that you had brought up was like these sayings that people just throw out mm-hmm. um, to kind of, I guess it, they're supposed to be encouraging, right? And if you're troubled. Or like life lessons, maybe not necessarily encouraging. Okay. But just things, that, truisms. Helpful tips, yes. if you will. And people tell you these things during the creative process or, or during just life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, to try to help you out. But sometimes it just feels a little, well, it's cliche. It's rote. Yeah. It's, uh, yes, I know, but that doesn't mean I want to implement whatever you're telling me. Mm-hmm. And then we also, as we were thinking about that, started thinking about the personal cliche or the stereotype of a creative person. So we wrote some of those things down too. Yes. But will you be a little bit nerdy and tell us what you learned? Yes. So... I mean, I, I didn't intentionally work up, look up the word cliche. I actually looked it up because I didn't know how to spell it and where to put the uh, little d- accent the, mark. Uh-huh. Um, but why did you need to know that for in your journal? Yeah. As you I mean, no one else it. is going to see it, but yeah. I wanted to be right. Okay. Okay. So I discovered the origin of the word cliche, and it has... Anyways, I'll just read it to you because yeah. it is interesting. Okay. Um, cl- the word cliche is French. Um And you also don't have to write it with an accent. So I've looked it up for no good reason. But it comes from when... I'm so sorry. My phone is not on silent. I apologize. Did it go off? I didn't hear it. Oh, I heard it. Well, anyways. Okay. (laughs) Um, So uh, when this harkens back to a time when we were using printing presses. So it says, when the printing presses were used... 
the cast iron plate that reproduced the words, phrases, or images was called a stereotype, which I was like, whoa. So the word cliche and stereotype come from the same place. Uh, the noise that the casting plate made sounded like a cliche, meaning click in French. Okay. So those two things are together. So our stereotype of an artist and our cliches that we're talking about today kind of already have a relationship. Well, and it even makes sense in the way, like the, the stereotype was the actual reproduction, like over and over and over, the copy. It was the... Of the it was the actual thing. So yes. a stereotype would tend to be applied to a person. Yes. And then the cliche was the sound that it made. Mm -hmm. And so that's why cliches are like the words that we use to describe those sort of things. And they're often repetitive and annoying. Yeah. Like little clicks. Cool. <laughs> okay. Well, so I'm glad go. that you looked that up. Yeah. Um, I'll start. All right. Because this first cliche is very related to make do. Okay. Wait. Pause. What? So are we going to go back and forth and discuss each one? Yeah. Okay. Don't you cool. Think? Yeah. I just didn't know if we were going to rapid fire these at each other and if then we have rapid a big discussion. Fire, then it'd be over. Well, I didn't know. I just want to make sure we're oh. clear. Okay. <laughs> before Sometimes we got into we talk it. about this before we hit play. <laughs> Record. Welcome to the behind the scenes. <laughs> this is what happens when Madison's gone for two and a half days. Okay. Yep. Um, so the cliche of make do mm -hmm. or making do is when life gives you lemons. You make lemonade. Make lemonade. Make do with lemonade. And that's why our logo is a lemon. So make the... The name Make Do came first before the lemon mm -hmm. did. Sorry, I took a <laughs> I took a really big drink of coffee because I thought Madison was gonna talk longer. <laughs> Sorry. Um but because yeah, you've said you've said before that you don't like the color yellow and you've had to get right. used to it because lemons are yellow. And I also it's taken me a while to like it when people make comments like Oh well I guess you're just we'll just make do and like wink wink at me because mm -hmm. That's not really make do. I never wanted it to be make do. I wanted it to be like make and do. And mm -hmm. that's why there's periods in between as well. And so it to where the name came from was the idea of using creativity. That's the make mm -hmm. as a way to s engage community through connection and compassion. So that's the do. So it was using creativity in two different avenues Mm -hmm. to make and to do. So it wasn't ever meant to be, like I think a lot of times people use that phrase make do as almost a plan B. Like we didn't get what we wanted. We have to make do with what we have. Yes. Or, And so I never meant to imply that. But at the same time, I think I want to kind of infuse hope into that phrase as well. Mm -hmm. And so it, it does make sense with what we're trying to accomplish, but I just sometimes get annoyed when people turn make do into the cliche of make, of make do. It, it lacks uh, depth and understanding. Right. Um, yeah. I can get why that would frustrate you. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I like the idea of make do making do with what you are given mm -hmm. um, because originally you wanted to reach a very specific audience with this place. But now that audience has expanded further in the community, including kids and even um, we're trying to get more boys in. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's going beyond um, what you initially intended it to do. You may have wanted one thing, but you were given another. Yeah. And I like what I do like about the cliche it's, it makes it easy for me to help paint a picture about what we're trying to do at Make Do. So, um, you know, the, the cliche would be when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But then making lemonade implies that you're going to share it with other people mm -hmm. because lemonade is a communal beverage or like kids have lemonade stands or you take lemonade out to your neighbor or you invite people in for lemonade. And so that visual really does wrap up the community aspect of make do. So I've grown to really like it and have probably taken it the taken the idea of lemons way too far. <laughs> no, I'm down with it. But honestly all this talk of lemonade is making like the back of my mouth like feel like it's already tasting sour lemonade. Oh really? Oh I can feel it. 
Maybe we should have get those uh, the lemonade ice cream things from Chick Fil A. Oh, like, like the, the frosted, frosted lemonade or frosted? Yes. It is so I tart and zingy. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Okay, so um, all of my cliches are not lemon themed, so we're gonna that's move the only lemon themed cliche I know. Yeah. Well, Do you know more? I'm just prepping you were our audience. To have a segue. Yeah, I'm segueing. I'm transitioning. <laughs> not the Google kind of segue. No, nope. the the literary kind. Yeah. The first one that came to my mind was practice makes perfect. Mm, that's a good one. I grew up learning how to play the flute and read music, and that was the platitude that was always spit at me. Mm-hmm. And it just really makes it seem like perfection is attainable that if you just work hard enough you will eventually reach perfection but I think part of growing up is realizing that um, perfection is not what you not what you think it is right Um, we have a couple of episodes where we talk about that at length yes so I'll just leave it with you know you find that practice um, Practice can make something easy. Practice can make something second nature. It doesn't make it perfect. And a lot of times the value of practicing is in what being consistent or being disciplined or, um, you know, the actual (laughs) staying, I cannot think of committed Mm. to something that brings us personal value way more than the end being perfect would mm-hmm. so we we talked about that a little bit in our episode the one we did before your birthday episode we were talking about productivity mm-hmm. and like that the a lot of times it's the process the value is actually in the process it's not in the end and so I think practicing the flute there was a lot that you learned in the practice that had nothing to do with whether or not you could play the flute perfectly exactly and if if our focus is on the perfection then frustration and despair sinks in way too early and it makes you not want to practice yes yeah so that's a good one we reject that cliche (laughs) get it out of here okay here's one that is um wholeheartedly connected to sewing Mm -hmm. and i think it bears true in our engagement with children especially a stitch in time saves nine. It's true. So the idea would be slow down. It might take you longer now, but it's going to save you time in the end. Yes. So back when people would hand sew, it's important to make sure that every stitch is correct. And I can he- almost hear the Victorians back in the past screaming this cliche at us. Um, because if one stitch is loose and not great then it will bust several others hence the nine Mm -hmm. and i can't tell you how many kids projects that i've seen that are ruined by a small hole in the corner or um don't fit quite right because they didn't bother to sew a straight seam because they just wanted to be done or even the amount of time that they spend with the seam ripper taking things out and having to do it again let me tell you the seam ripper is a better teacher than i am because having them sit there and undo one seam makes sure that they don't make that mistake again. Because they don't want to sit there and undo all of their work. Well, what you're saying, there's a lot of value in that, too. There's value in making mistakes and having to fix them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is value in having to redo a stitch nine times or <laughs> messing something up and re- and really learning the lesson that, oh, it is better to take my time. I still learn that all the time in sewing where I learn what best practice is, and then I'm like, "Mm, but I don't want to do that, and then I don't, and then I learn, no, there's a reason why it's best practice, and that right there is just the human condition. Right. We all have to learn it the hard way. Yeah. Okay, your turn. Okay. Uh, Measure twice, cut once. Mm. This one can also go with sewing or woodworking or... Anything. Anything. I hadn't thought of that one. That's a good one. So I still think that this one holds true um, to some extent that you only have a limited amount of material and when you cut it, you can't take it back. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that you are absolutely positive with all of your measurements before you go through and make that final whatever. Um, Sometimes you just kind of need to go with it and you just need to cut even though you've measured once. Um, but go in with the understanding that, you know, 
may not turn out quite right. Yeah. Well, and again, it's back, it's similar to the A Stitch in Time. It is the idea of just taking your time, of like not being too hasty, right, as you approach your project. So even if you aren't physically measuring twice, Mm -hmm. you're just making sure that you're being thorough and precise. Before you do something that you cannot undo. Yes. So our... when I was teaching the kids' first um, garment sewing class, they said, Madison, there's not a lot of sewing in this class. <laughs> and I said, yeah, a lot of garment sewing is measuring and pinning and putting things in the right place and then getting ready to sew. Uh-huh. And so they were having to learn the process of measure twice and cut once. Because they're really sewing... Maybe in quilting, there's more sewing than in garment sewing. Mm-hmm. But even quilting is sewing is only a small part because they're still cutting fabric, ironing fabric, cutting it again. There's a lot more to do than just sitting at the sewing machine and sewing. The opposite, maybe, of what you're saying. Um, oh. Well, okay, the cliche is going to sound the same, but I'm going to, like, push yeah. back on the cliche a little okay. bit. Better safe than sorry. <gasps> I wrote that one down, too. Wait, did I? No, I didn't. No, but that's a good one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... Sometimes we can get stuck in this, um, in the safe part, mm-hmm. um, and we're afraid of making a mistake. And so then we just stay there, w- whether it's our fear of failure that is keeping us in that better safe space or, um, well, I was going to say not wanting to mess up, but that's like the same as failure. So, Creativity has helped me see that it's not, I'm not having to choose to be safe or to be sorry. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Um, And you can take risks and if you mess up, it's okay. Like it doesn't have to necessarily be something regrettable, um, particularly in creativity. So I've been doing some painting uh, for our gallery wall and it can be really hard for me, especially if I'm if I'm painting something and I like how it's going, but then it's time to do the next step. I That is really nerve wracking for me. And sometimes I just want to say, oh, I can't. And I want to play it safe because I don't want to mess the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. But then I'm learning there's there's always a way to fix it. So one of mine fits or the way that I'm going to describe it fits in with that is you can't have your cake and eat it too. Mm. So I recently made a birthday dress and I had to cut into some fabric that doesn't exist anymore. This is the only, it's a finite amount. And I wanted to be able to have the potential of making this dress, like to make it however I wanted. But in order to have the dress, I had to cut into it. I couldn't hold both in my hands at the same time. So you sometimes have to step out and do that creative thing, you know, and be comfortable with being uncomfortable so that you can have the cake to eat. Right. You can't have your cake or eat it too and eat it too. It's also a cake is eventually going to go bad. Like mm-hmm. unless it's a fake cake, <laughs> what's the point in in keeping the cake just because it looks pretty mm-hmm. when it's going to go stale and moldy and then you're not going to have been able to enjoy it for what it was intended for, which is consumption. So like when people hoard, oh, I'm going to use this for when I'm ready and when I've when I'm better off or I'm going to save this particular restaurant for when I get that particular, you know, promotion or whatever. Um, If you save it for too long, you may not ever get around to it. Right. So just do it. Okay. I have, I just wanted to go back to better safe than sorry really quick to say. Oh no, we, these are all intertwined. To say that I am not saying you should be reckless. Oh no. Measure so, twice, cut once, people. Right, <laughs> right. It is just more to say, also push your, you know, step out a little bit. Okay, back to yours that you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. The, the cliche that I had thought of for sort of this idea of hoarding supplies or waiting for the perfect project mm-hmm. is that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, so, it's so funny to me. What? I just imagine someone holding this like tiny bird in their hand with its little head sticking out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Because if you think of it in terms of fabric, Mm -hmm. then 
that fabric wrapped up in the bush, aka <laughs> the shelf, yes, where you store your fabric. I wish I had a shelf. It's on my floor. You don't even want to know about the organization I've got going on in my sewing room. Maybe you can take us on a tour of your sewing room one day. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> so your fabric, if it is like hiding on your floor or in the metaphorical bush, it's not doing you any good. Mm -hmm. But if you make it, one dress out of that fabric is going to bring you way more use than all of that fabric in the world turning into nothing. Yeah. Just sitting on your floor. So same idea as as what you were saying. We don't have to belabor. We don't have to beat the bird, but beat the bird (laughs) (laughs) or bird. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Excellent. Okay. Okay, here's another food-related one. Mm. Easy as pie. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, or like piece of cake. Or a piece of cake. Um, maybe a piece of cake I would agree with is like, oh, something is easy. It's like, it's like a piece of cake. It's enjoyable or whatever. Anyone who's ever made pie, and I really mean like made everything from scratch, knows that pie is not easy. I mean, it's not the hardest dessert out there, but man, is it difficult to work with. And so I totally just don't agree with the whole like stance of this cliche. This mm. cliche. Um, but I think, I think it gives us insight into when people are like, oh, it's easy. You can do, just do this, this, and this. It just takes experience. Right. From my perspective, the things that we do in the kids' class, I'm like, oh, that's easy. I could be able to whip that out in no time. Mm-hmm. I'm also an excellent cook, so I'm able to whip out a pie no problem. But for people who are not experienced and they hear that, like, oh, this is easy. And then it's not. It can be really disappointing. Yes. I've tried to change my language around that. And instead of saying that something is easy, I will say that something is straightforward. Mm -hmm. Because it, like, let's say you're making a drawstring bag. A drawstring bag is like three seams. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you learn how to put some whatever you're making the drawstring out of, you have to loop that through. So it's simple and straightforward, but if it's brand new to you, it might not feel easy. Um, So that is, if you find yourself having to teach what you do to other people, I think we want to encourage people by telling them something is going to be easy because we don't want them to be scared of it. But sometimes that makes them feel like a failure before they've even started. So that's why I like labeling things like beginner or level one, because that implies that there might be some trouble along the way, but it's an attainable goal for someone who's starting out mm-hmm. versus, oh, this is an easy quilt block. Mm-hmm. Easy for who? It's all relative. Yes. And a lo- we get that a lot when people <laughs> message us about wanting to take a beginner sewing class because they're like, I don't know anything about sewing. And so I always suggest the learn to quilt class. That's why Mm -hmm. we have it. It's our beginner sewing class. But people, the word quilt really throws people off because they think, I don't even know how to turn the machine on. I can't make a quilt. And so I have to use that sort of language a lot when we're talking about that. What was your cliche for that one? Easy as pie. Oh yeah. Easy as pie. Yeah. So hit me with the the next one for you. Um, Slow and steady wins the race. I guess this is the same as a stitch in time saves nine. Well, the slow part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me that what's difficult about this cliche is the steady part. Because I am like, pedal to the metal or nothing. You get obsessed (laughs) with something and you're like, that's all I want to do all the time. Yes. High speed. So maybe this isn't necessarily a cliche that I want to debunk as much as something that I actually do need to kind of learn from. But again, it's that wins the race part at the end that um, sometimes that idea of being slow and steady of having consistency and self-discipline isn't necessarily so that you can get somewhere faster or win. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's good for you to be consistent. Yeah. Well, there's a prize at the end. There's something to be enjoyed at the end of your process. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I can understand that. I just, I guess metaphors or cliches that have to do with winning really rub my competitive spirit. Like I, it gets me all revved up for the wrong reason. So I really have to check dial that it back. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, my next one is don't cry over spilt milk. Oh, okay. That's uh, a good one. Um, 
I think it's okay to cry over some spilt milk, mm-hmm. especially if it was your last glass of milk. Well, and there's so many reasons why. Because you're frustrated that you made a mess that now you have to clean up. Mm-hmm. You're sad because the milk you were so is tasty. Yeah, you wanted that milk. Yeah, or you're embarrassed because mm-hmm. you spilled it in front of other people. Or you're angry You know, because someone else spilled it on your clean floor. Like, there's all kinds of reasons that you would cry over the milk being spilled. So, and I think cry here just means like, oh, don't get upset over this. When someone tells you to not get upset, it almost makes you want to just be upset. Mm -hmm. It's never worked for me. Mm -mm. No one has ever come up to me and be like, oh, Madison... Don't be so upset. It's not that bad. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that doesn't make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Instead, someone help me like clean up the milk. Don't tell me anything. Mm -hmm. Help me fix my mistake. Because I think that's what this is getting at is when you have a mistake, you don't want to like, you know, wallow in it. Right. Don't roll around in the milk on the floor, people. (laughs) Just, but don't bottle it up because there's so many different reasons why that could be frustrating. And it's almost like this gives the impression that if you deal with the mess, then the tears just are go away. Like there's no reason for them. But you are saying, you know, that idea of not bottling it up brings up that like cleaning up the mess does not deal with the doesn't deal with emotion emotions. behind it at all. Mm-mm. And there is value in figuring out where those tears are coming from, like what the emotion actually is. Is it anger, frustration, sadness, embarrassment? Mm-hmm. Because that is it even makes about the milk? Too. Right. Probably not. <laughs> There's probably other things going on. Right. So if you feel those emotions when you make a mistake, that's an excellent time to explore and be like, hmm, why do I feel like this? And then fix your mistake and then try to fix what else might be going on. So Madison, you've, you have shared several times you have an anger problem. I do. So <laughs> when you're crying over spilled milk, is it usually coming from a place of anger and frustration? Yes. And it's usually not the thing that I'm dealing with. Mm. The things that I get mad at are inanimate objects. They can do me no wrong. They, I don't know. The iron can do you some wrong. <laughs> but the iron, the sewing machine, all of that only does what I tell it to do. Right. So usually it comes from another place of I'm not getting a need met somewhere or I'm not giving myself enough time or now that I am giving myself time to create, I went so long without it that I'm like resentful Mm -hmm. and that's all coming out. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to explore that a little bit more and sometimes I've noticed a slight reduction in some anger. Do you find that... Because creativity, if creativity is your stress reliever, Mm -hmm. and yet creativity can add stress. So sometimes it almost makes the problem worse. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Because you're, if I'm already in kind of a down headspace or, you know, like if I'm already feeling a little negative and then I'm struggling with my creativity, when that's where I go for a release, Mm -hmm. it can be like extra hard and I feel like sometimes that's when I explode yeah it you have to sometimes you have to work through some of your other stuff before you can get into that creative headspace Mm -hmm. because it's going to come out in what you do Mm -hmm. Um, and it'll come out in other places too Mm -hmm. so um all right there's more than one way to skin a cat oh no poor (laughs) cat I knew you were not gonna like Uh, (laughs) we're killing birds now we're skinning cats we're not killing them I didn't I did not bring up the kill two birds with one stone. All I said was a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And you could put that bird that's in your hand into a a little sanctuary in your home and keep it. I'm going to imagine that, but there ain't no hope for this cat. Anyways. Okay. So I know more than one way to, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. So means that there are multiple approaches to the same problem, mm-hmm. whether that is a problem in your life or a problem at your sewing machine or at your artist canvas. <laughs> so this <laughs> makes me think that there's multiple ways that a creative product can be made mm-hmm. or like there's not one right way to mm-hmm. quote sew or paint 
or make an Excel spreadsheet. I don't know. Maybe there is. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning, folks. But, you know, there's more than one way to do something. And there's not a, quote, right way. Right. And there are best practices, which Mm -hmm. that's, you know, you've already said that several times um, in this conversation. And we try to teach those, but we also are teaching what works for us. Um, And sometimes that isn't, you know, what works for everyone. And that's why it's good to, that's what's so great about YouTube or Pinterest and blogs and things that where people are showing their process because you can see many different ways Mm -hmm. to approach something. Um, What I find most comforting is looking at, and this is going to get real specific to me. Sorry, guys. Um, like old Victorian clothing when they open it up and they show you the seams on the inside. They're mm. like, oh, look here. They didn't do this like they should have. Or this part is pieced or this part is cut off grain or whatever. And it just makes me think, oh, people didn't always do best practices because people were involved. Right. So sometimes you have to make do and you have to use what you've got in whatever way that you can. And that's okay. And you learn as you go what is going to work best for you, how you'll be able to skin that cat the best way possible. All right. All right. Go on. Go on. Let's continue, shall we? Um, Haste makes waste. It goes along Mm. with that stitch in time, saves Mm -hmm. nine, all that. So if you're just going to be hasty and cut something out, you will end up wasting some fabric. My case in point, that orange dress that I talked about for like 10 episodes I no longer have that fabric. It was, I mean, I guess it was a useful process, but I ain't wearing that. It's a waste. Also, it's not really even orange. (laughs) All right. It's gray with orange (laughs) pinstripes, but the orange is what's glaring at me. I don't wear orange very much. And if you have not been listening to the podcast, you might not know what Madison's talking about, but she talked about this dress for ages and then she finally wore it in and like, if you hadn't talked about how much you hated it, yeah. I would not have known that it was a disappointment to you. Yeah. Because it's fine. Mm-hmm. But it sits in my closet and it, I don't wear it and... Yeah, I get it's that. It's a bit of a waste. So, that's really all I have to say about that one. Um, I, I don't know if this is the same or not, but I have a, several projects that aren't even finished because I had either a hastiness to move on to another project or I just got busy and didn't take the time to finish them. And so maybe that's just a different way of looking at that same concept that even though I didn't mess them up, Mm -hmm. I never took the time to finish them. And so basically they are wasted. Like the the purpose of those pants I didn't finish is wasted. I feel like this comes into play whenever you're forcing a situation. I really want this to happen. And so you really push for it and you try to hurriedly get it done. And it usually ends up turning out not that great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Ooh, Especially I'm learning with painting because with sewing, I can be obsessive and I can sew all day as fast as I want to, like one yeah. step after the other. But with painting, you have to take the time to let that thing dry. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Painting will teach you patience real quick. Yes. I don't know that I like that. (laughs) Um, The grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. To me, this is when I look over at my neighbor who is also making a painting and I like it better than mine. Or I start to compare myself to what they're doing. And then when I look back at mine, I don't like it because I'm in comparison mode instead of like appreciation mode. Um, going back to that Victorian dress, I just, I always think, man, they had such great construction techniques that it was just so interesting to see how they put things together. Um, they must've had all of this wealth of sewing knowledge and come to realize that they were trying to figure things out just like we were. Mm -hmm. They would probably be very impressed with what we do nowadays, Mm -hmm. but they're not here to tell us. Jealous of the machines and stuff that we have. Oh, Absolutely. And the spandex. Guys, spandex <laughs> is a real game changer for all of your jeans so they fit all just right yeah. and they snug all those places. Those Victorian ladies were not wearing jeans anyway. <sighs> no, but everything was woven. Nothing had give. It all had yeah. to be fitted perfectly. Ugh. Gross. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the grass we know is not always greener. Absolutely not. Um, maybe this ties in with it. My mom says this a lot. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> mm. Sometimes... It, well, okay, so here's what I think about this one. I I believe that knowledge is power, and maybe yes. that's another cliche. Um, so I don't always agree with this, 
However, now that I know the quote best practices of sewing, uh-huh. I've always feel compelled to do them, even when I don't want to. Uh-huh. Whereas when I first started sewing, I didn't know anything, but I was just happily stitching along. So it was blissful, if you will. So there seems to be this trade-off of, you know, sewing innocence into sewing expert. And that I think happens when you are a creative. Right. There's this like carefree beginning honeymoon phase of like, oh, I'm just into this and I'm expressing myself. And then you start to get bogged down with some of the finer techniques as you learn more. And would you, I I just think even outside of creativity, um, you know, as you start to learn about things that are outside of your own experience, even though it can be heartbreaking, it's like waking you up. Oh, my phone's not on silent either. (laughs) It's waking you up to a fuller understanding of humanity and the human condition, right? And so that bliss that you get from ignorance is a lie. Like it's not real. Yeah. I And I I have an aversion to the word ignorance because I don't want to be an ignorant person. Mm-hmm. Um, but ignorance has a benefit of bliss and knowledge has a cost. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to take on, you know, the knowledge of things that are hard or difficult to understand there is going to be a loss of joy at times but that puts us on a journey of trying to get back to a place where we can find that contentment Mm -hmm. and that joy Mm -hmm. i have one more how many more do you have two okay then you do another one okay well i don't know if this one's yours so i'll do my last one um okay uh, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Oh, I had thought of that one t- earlier. Oh, gosh. Hang on. Please hold. I dropped my notebook. <laughs> All right. Continue. Um, my mom says this one a lot, too. And this one goes with when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Uh-huh. So basically be grateful for what you are given. Well, sometimes I think it's okay to be a little indignant with what you are handed and to say that this is not good enough. And just because it was bestowed upon me, does not mean that I have to deal with it. Right, because horses are expensive. They're also a lot of responsibility right. from what I'm told. No, that's what I mean. Like, they're expensive to upkeep. Oh, yeah, not yeah. Not to gift to someone. But, like, then you have to feed them and you have to take care of them and all of those things. So the gift, can accepting that gift can actually come at great cost to you down the line. Absolutely. So th- it's like... a. Sometimes it's a feeling of obligation um, that you're given and you're like, oh, I have to deal with this. If it's not something you want to do and you can pass it up just because it was given to you does not mean you have to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Let that horse go. Mm-hmm. Run, wa- run free, horse. <laughs> I love it. Um, that just made me think of the movie Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. I'm you sorry. What? Oh, I've never seen gosh. this movie. Madison. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just my age. There. Okay. It's called Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. I'm trying now to think of who's in it. Anyway, it's this girl who becomes a, it's set like back in maybe the 30s or 40s or 20s. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And they have this act where there's this horse that, She's like on a really high diving board and the horse runs by and then she um, jumps on the horse's back and they dive into the water. So it's like a, you know, show. They travel around and do the show. And um, she, one time when they go into the water, didn't close her eyes right and she goes blind. Oh. And so then it's her journey of trying to like still do that and Mm -hmm. can she do it blind? I just got goosebumps thinking about it. It's called Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. I used to watch it at my grandma's house all the time. And I don't know why I thought about that, but anyway. <laughs> Super good. Okay. Yeah, hit us with our, movie. Um, okay. So this is my last one and it goes well into our next section too. Okay. Don't judge a book by its cover. Mm. Now I will be the first to tell you, I exclusively judge books by their cover. And what? If- you don't crack them open? Have you not heard of the 69 rule? Okay. Hold up, people. <laughs> so the idea is, in order to get an idea of the book, if you've already read like the dust cover, uh-huh. is you open it up to page 69, you read that page. If you like that page, 
you'll like the book. It's far enough into the book that good stuff should have already happened, but not far enough in that it would spoil too much for you. Right. So I feel like they should have picked a different page number. I don't know. It's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I had not heard of that. All I'm saying is if the book has a dumb cover, I'm not even going to pick it up off of the shelf. I guess it's the combination of the title and the cover, right? Mm -hmm. Because maybe if it has an interesting title, but the cover is stupid, I would read the back. But if the cover is good, I for sure am going to pick it up Okay, and look at it. Same with wine labels. Oh, there are some pretty cool wine labels out there. I love looking at wine labels. There's just so much variety and things you can do with it. Yeah. And I think it is such a combination of that same idea of a book's cover, but Mm -hmm. also branding. And so it just tells you like you're kind of getting a story of the vineyard through their wine label. I love it. Um, But yes, I do judge books by their cover, um, even though I know I'm not supposed to. Um. Generally, this is applied to people. Yes. Um, and I try not to do it with people. However, because I am a person who likes to wear their creations on their person, mm. I find this a hard one to jive with because part of me is part of my cover. And right. it's the same with other people. You curate what you look like. You have some choice over it. And even what you look like can depend, can show you, like, can show others where you're at in life, how, how well things are going. Well, and isn't it a matter of um, letting that person tell you what that expression means to them? Mm-hmm. So I think you, your example is excellent because if you have not, if you don't know Madison, what she looks like or how she dresses, <laughs> it is very... 1950s like Mm -hmm. throwback kind of and I think it can be really easy for people to make assumptions about you based on what you wear yes but also they have no idea why you are attracted to those kind of clothes why Mm -hmm. you like that kind of stuff um people in the vintage fashion community often are asked well oh do you wish you lived back in that time and most if not all people say no, of course not. I love the present that I live in. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I like the aesthetic. Um, the hashtag um, vintage look, not vintage values mm-hmm. um, is off quite often passed around. And that, I think that does describe me. If you assume that I'm like a 1950s housewife, boy, you got another thing coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even in some of your interactions with people around town, you have to you're having to overcome that because of how you choose to dress. Mm -hmm. So that is a great example of not judging a book by a cover, but also you are making a personal statement by the cover you choose to put on you. It's why I tend to be kind with people Mm -hmm. when they do assume, because I know what I look like on the outside Mm -hmm. and I accept that this is a personal choice that I have. Um, But I do, I know that other people have a responsibility to get to know me before they judge me mm-hmm. based on what and I wear. Your, that's a personal choice for you, but mm-hmm. a lot of times the way we look is not a choice. Absolutely. I don't get to pick what body I live in. Right. I don't get to choose. Well, yeah, there's just lots of things mm-hmm. that I don't get to choose. You do get to choose the color of your hair. <laughs> this is true. One more week. So I was going to say when we, so n- when we're recording next week's episode, uh-huh. it'll be a different color. I'm so excited. And y'all get to hear what it is. Uh-huh. Or it's a secret <laughs> for now. <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to sneak in one last okay. one. I know this, this was a great transition mm-hmm. judging a book by its Cause cover. Cause I'm good at segues. You are very good at segues. <laughs> um, but this is actually one that you have told me before is to eat the frog. Oh, but is that a cliche? I think it is. Okay. That, um, you just got to buckle down and and do it. And because I, I can't imagine eating a frog is a good thing unless no. you deep fry it. Right. The legs. <laughs> yes. I know there's probably some people out there that love them. Some deep fried frog legs. Yeah. Um, but the idea behind it is to do the thing 
that you don't want to do first. Yes. Maybe the cliche, the actual cliche would be don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. There you go. I'm all about putting things <laughs> off though. If the weather's why, nice today, I'd rather go outside. That's why I always hear you say, oh, I got to eat the frog or I just got to, you know, uh-huh. bite the bullet, if you will. Yes, bite the bullet might be the cliche. Because yeah. I eat the frog was more of like a hack for productivity more than like a cliche. I don't know. If people use it enough, it could totally be that. That's true. Clicking Things sound can of a become cliche. cliche. Okay, so yes, eat the frog. Ugh. I mean, you should. I mean, you should try to get the hard thing out of the mm-hmm. way first. But again, if it's something you don't want to do, don't tire yourself out eating the frog. Or don't tire yourself out like avoiding the frog either because it does take energy to avoid the things we don't want to do, right? Like yeah. it drains our joy in the moment because we're thinking about that thing in the mm-hmm. future that we don't want to do that's kind of looming over us. So either throw out the frog or eat it. <laughs> Yeah. And Put that frog back in its pond. That's my animal violence cliche for the day. <laughs> there you no, go. We're putting it back in the pond. Okay. We're not skinning it. <laughs> okay. So going back to what you were saying mm-hmm. about not judging a book by its cover, um, we wanted to, to discuss cliches surrounding a creative person. Right. Kind of the stereotypes that those people either, how we think that creative people are mm-hmm. or what they deal with or whatever. Yes. The first one I have is the idea of the starving artist. Yeah. Uh, mine that kind of goes along with that, and it is a little dark, but like a substance abuse that uh-huh. usually they're smoking or drinking or whatever. They do some sort of hard drug or something. Yeah. And I think what's so sad about that idea of the starving artist is it shows that we don't value creativity as much as we value productivity. This is true. Um, I know I've, I've known a fair few people in my life that their, their driving principle is their art uh-huh. or their craft. And they are willing to put themselves into that starving artist situation because they believe so much in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's such a shame that other people don't put that same value mm-hmm. on creative works. Yeah. Um, we see this a lot when, you know, smaller creators are putting out unique things and then people come along and like rip them off. Mm -hmm. If you're an artist or a creative, you understand that pain and understand that it took effort and time to be able to, um, create that whatever it is. And it's sad when someone just rips it off for cheaper. Mm -hmm. And if you are listening to this and you value, people who are creative then buy their stuff buy gifts from creative people that you admire or whatever so um your point of kind of the substance abuse or the addiction goes to the idea of the the tortured soul of an artist yeah i wrote that down to a troubled soul Uh or um they're moody and broody uh, they can be flaky and very emotionally driven or they're unreliable. And I think it's because they're just more in tuned, right? I mean, if you're, if we're talking in terms of the Enneagram, we'd be talking about an Enneagram four, like just the, um, it's like their skin is more thin because they're like, I don't mean thin skin as in they can't take criticism or whatever. The veil is thin, maybe, in between their life and their ability to um, engage with other people's pain. So I like the that idea of skin. It's permeable. It allows things into mm-hmm. yourself, and it keeps other things out. With artists, and I specifically think of musicians, when they're writing songs that have to do with their personal feelings they then go and put that out there for everyone Mm -hmm. to listen to. So that means every critique about a song is hitting an emotional point within themselves, an emotional sore spot, if you will. And yes, they are more in tune with their emotions, but they give and take emotions almost more freely. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course they're going to be thin-skinned because they're opening up their heart to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what makes their music great or what makes them to be able to connect with you. 
So, yeah, they're going to be tortured. Well, that brings up the cliche that someone wears their heart on their sleeve, mm-hmm. which I always have a really weird visual when I think about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> See, in all of these, there's these negative connotations mm-hmm. of, oh, you are so led by your emotions. You're irrational. You are weak. Um, especially men mm. who are artists who are like, oh, yeah, he's... He's effeminate because he's in touch with his emotions. That's not fair. No. The rest of you are armored up in your turtle shells, not allowing anything into your hearts. Well, you've got these creatives over here who are cracking themselves open and pouring out to others. And the value in that is that they are able to connect. They're Mm -hmm. seeking connection. People are connecting with them. And we're talking right now about people who are artists professionally yeah. or like you know kind of the the high art mm-hmm. um whether it's you know like writing a book or, or right. something that a mass audience will right see. and so of course that does not apply to all of us mm-hmm. um but i think we can still learn something from their willingness to be vulnerable and see that that there is value in that as far as connecting with other people I think it's an excellent it's an excellent lesson that teaches us that we should be more authentic in our creative pursuits that it's that's how we seek connection with others and also with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the other cliche or stereotype that I have and we hear this all the time at make do um, is the idea of someone being artsy fartsy or like artsy craftsy. I've heard people say I'm not mm-hmm. very crafty. I'm not very artsy fartsy. First of all, fartsy. Come on, people. <laughs> Lots of weird things have been said today. Yeah, <laughs> but <sighs> that it's almost like people think that they aren't creative because they don't fit into their own stereotype of what they think creative people are like. Yes. Um, I guess there's like a couple of different ways this can go. When I like close my eyes and imagine a picture of these people. um, Wait, the artsy fartsy people? The artsy fartsy people. They either wear all black Mm -hmm. or they wear wild clothing, like abstract kind of stuff. Or like loose fit boyfriend jeans and a white shirt or like overalls with paint all over it. Yeah. So like that's their work clothes. Yeah. And like their hair up in a messy bun, maybe splattered in a little bit of paint. Well, and so that would be like workwear, but I think of like people who are presenting, who are like high art people have this sort of uniform. So like think Steve Jobs, Mm -hmm. like black turtleneck, same thing all the time. Um, And then like artsy craftsy people, I always think of them having like some handmade earrings that are like super dangly Mm -hmm. and to be honest to me are not that pretty. Mm -hmm. And like they're stuck, like they present as someone where everything is like homemade and it's not quite professional. Yeah, So we would probably like artsy fartsy would be someone who is good at what they do. Yeah. But then someone who we would say, like if we would say, Oh, she's really crafty. Mm -hmm. It kind of that stereotype, even of craft versus art. Yes. Has a little bit more of a negative connotation. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. And I, well, because crafty people, they don't always have to look like artists and they may even look like normal people. Uh Um, They can just be, oh, she's willing to paint a wall. It could mean anything from I can paint a wall to I'm able to make, you know, I can reupholster something. I can. Right. Like I think of all of the design people on HGTV. Yeah. Redesigning homes. Like those are crafty people. That can do all of that stuff on their own. Like the DIY aspect of it. Yes. Absolutely. So. So that would be kind of my second. And I think that's what the one we're going to deal with more than, you know, that starving, tortured artist. Um, Because we spend so much time trying to convince people that you don't have to be artsy fartsy or craftsy Mm -hmm. to come participate and get the benefit out of creativity. Absolutely. You don't have to take on all of those identity traits. You don't have to start wearing all black or wear funny earrings Mm -mm. to identify as a creative. Creatives can look like anybody. Right. Case in point, those people on HGTV, most of them look like normal-ish people. Yeah. Well, and like we are all creative. It just is sometimes, you know, asleep inside of us. 
You have to wake it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a couple of other things, but they're all silly. Like, like people who are creative are only about um, aesthetics or they're only interested in art. Then in order to be creative, you have to be able to go into a museum and like understand all of the art that's right. there. Like you have to like going to museums. Or it could even be like, oh, I just, I, I'm able to look at things and I know what looks good. Or you only listen to obscure music. Yeah. It's just being very involved with the arts. You can be a creative person without, you know, diving headfirst into all of the uh-huh. arts. Yes, absolutely. That's more the creative person I am. Case in point, I have trash taste in music, but I still consider myself a creative person. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you are creative. Yeah. Um, so we didn't really... Uh, necessarily come up with tips i mean what are we going to be like here's a tip to not be a cliche but some of the cliches are good but one thing that i was thinking reflecting over you know this conversation is that that our podcast is called be createful that's kind of the tagline of make do and to me cliches are reductive like that's why they're not completely true Mm -hmm. right so it's the opposite of fullness and it's the opposite of finding like the nuance of someone's lived experience. And so that is what be createful to me is sort of addressing. It's an attitude or a mindset. It's a way of choosing how to look at the world that is not reductive and that is open to, well, finding fullness through creativity, but, but it doesn't even have to be through creativity. It can just be, well, through creative activity, I guess. It, it can be through any sort of beauty or stepping outside of yourself or, or whatever. So in the same way that you can be grateful and have gratitude, um, that's an attitude or a mindset, createful feels the same to me that it is the the attitude the lens that we're looking through the world at so that would be my um I guess kind of how I would wrap this up is just to say be grateful yeah um I like our little I don't know our little saying at the um of this podcast that being grateful means finding fullness through creativity Uh um so what I would want y'all to take away from today is to find what is useful and leave the rest. Mm. So that's the finding part of finding fullness and creativity. Mm -hmm. There are truths that are in these cliches, and you may even identify with some of these artsy-fartsy and craftsy labels. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is you can take as much as you want and leave the rest of all of the junk on the table. Mm -hmm. These platitudes that people use to placate you, not useful. Instead... Try to hear whatever truth or whatever they are trying to get across and then leave the reductiveness behind. Break it open. (laughs) So there is some work involved. You have to find fullness. It's not going to come to you naturally. um, But it's out there. I like that idea of work because cliches are lazy. Like there's not a lot of work or thought that goes into rattling off a cliche that's why they're cliche yeah I mean my mom is full of little sayings and I love that about her and that's part of it is that cliches allow you to have this repertoire of um sayings that you can just throw out at people and it doesn't it doesn't allow you to get deeper with them no do you okay when I took Spanish in high school we learned like Spanish cliches, uh-huh. Hispanic cliches. I don't know if they were m- from Mexico, where they were from, but one that I still remember is en boca cerrada no entran moscas, which means, and that means in a closed mouth, no flies will get in. <sighs> so does that mean like, I don't think it talk? means like, yeah, just shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's great. Isn't that funny? Yes. Um, okay. Any other thoughts? Do you have any foreign language cliches? (laughs) No, I don't. Um, I did discover that a lot of cliches are just idioms. They're just things that don't make a lot of sense that we just like use like skinning a cat and all of that stuff that we don't use in normal 
and normal life. Well, because a lot of times when they were developed, now our life has changed so much, right? That they don't always, uh, they're not current. Yeah. And yet we still keep saying them. Yes. Because there is a little truth in them. Yeah. A little bit. Um, okay. What's your sweet this week? Okay. So, well, I mean. Wait, I'd do we usually do sweet or sour first? Let's do sour so we can end on sweet. Okay. What's your sour this week? Um, my, oh, hang on. I have to look. Okay. So there was a really cool store in Hot Springs, and I'm really sad that I couldn't buy the whole store. <laughs> <laughs> like, so this store had, like, tons of retro and reproduction items, like crazy 50s sunglasses and um, awesome full skirts. And they had a whole back rack of, like, petticoats in every single color and earrings with giant pieces of fruit on them and scarves. Did they have any with lemons on them? Girl, they had six different kinds of lemon earrings. Madison, okay, my sour just changed. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you not texting me pictures to see if I wanted any? They were kind of cheesy. I didn't think it fit your vibe. Oh, okay, then. I trust you. I think you know my vibe and I trust yeah. you, but like... If I had seen something that was that like was high cool. quality... Okay. I mean, when I say that they had like fruit on earrings, we're talking like plastic fruit. Like someone drilled a hole in a piece of plastic fruit and put an <laughs> earring hook on it. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love me some kitschy stuff like that and I would have bought every single so one. So did you get any lemon earrings? <sighs> no. I already okay. have several lemon earrings um, at home, so I couldn't justify it. So yeah, my sour was I couldn't spend a butt ton of money at a store that was basically my spirit animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my I had two sours, but I just double checked, and so my first sour is now irrelevant. But it was that the Sonic app hasn't been working. It, that's true. We would have to actually like go to Sonic and push the push button, <laughs> talk Who? to people. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so that was a little bit sour. But an actual sour is that um, my mortgage payment went up <laughs> because my escrow got increased. So, so I didn't know what the word was escrow meant really before <laughs> I was a homeowner. But anyway, it increased. So blech. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know a lot of adult words until I started working for Joe. Then she teaches yeah. me things like escrow. You know how I learned how to teach you things like that? It's mm -hmm. because from Mooley, because she's an accountant, and anytime she would teach us something, she would start with the phrase, say you have $100. <laughs> and then, so that's how she would have explained escrow to you. She would have been so. like, say you have $100, and yeah. that is in your escrow account. That's how she would have started. <laughs> so thank you, Mooley. Yes. Uh, what's your sweet? Um, my sweet was that I got to go on a trip to hot springs. Yay. I have a cool boss that allows me to take vacation time. So I appreciate that. Well, flexibility is at the top of our <laughs> list of, um, workplace culture. Yeah. Um, and it was great. I got to go to a cool shop. I got a massage. I got to spend time with a good friend of mine. We got close and we just, we ate lots of dark chocolate and mm. just, Walked around Hot Springs. Neither of us had been before, even though we've been in Cersei for a long time. Yeah. Um, well, that's fun. I'm glad that you got to go, even though it was in the middle of the week and it affected me greatly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your... My suite. I'm really excited about this. I had a meeting with um, someone who works with a local organization in Cersei called 100 Families, and um, they work their tagline is something like from crisis to career so they're just working with families um in the area and helping them get resources and all of that that they need but um we met about ways that make do can partner with them and i'm so excited i felt so invigorated after our conversation because mm -hmm. especially since covid so like for the last 12 months mm -hmm. i have felt like we couldn't really um I wasn't feeling very fulfilled in the do part of make do. Mm, that and community aspect. Yes. And, you know, we made masks and we're grateful because that was a big revenue builder for us. And it got us through a really tough time and we were able to donate some. But I always felt like I was still grasping for ways to prove that we were being an asset to the community. And um, so anyway, there's been a lot of things from the beginning, the inception of make do, um, that I have had on my mind 
and that I've tried to do here locally and it just hasn't happened. And I think that with this partnership with 100 Families, we might be able to start seeing some of that. And I am so excited. Woo woo. That is exciting. Yes. And uh, sweet. Yeah. Another little bitty sweet mm-hmm. is that Pip peed for the first time downtown outside. Joe came in and she was so excited <laughs> afterwards. She's like, she wins. Pip got to come to open studio this week. Um, and she hasn't been to the studio in weeks mm-hmm. because it's just too much of a distraction. And so uh, she came and we went outside and it took 45 minutes and it took three of the um, cleaning crew from First Security Bank. But uh, she went and they all cheered for her. Yay. So I hope she's not expecting that sort of um, fanfare every time she pees downtown. But hey, if you're driving downtown and you see me and Pip outside and she's squatting, give us a give us a honk. Give us a woot. Yeah. (laughs) Cheer for her. (laughs) Okay. Well, sad news. We don't have a review to read because we're all caught up. Man. So thank you for everyone who's left a review. And yeah, we appreciate you. If you haven't, we would love to read it. Makes us feel good. Yeah. Toot our horn for us. <laughs> that's a weird Again, thing to say. Still not the weirdest thing that's been said today. Lots of weird phrases on this episode of the podcast. Uh, I sang our goodbye song last week. So do you want to sing one this week? Yeah, I'll sing a little one. Okay. Um, we'll see you later. We hope you liked this podcast about creativity. Mostly I wish you could have seen the dance Madison was doing along with that. I usually do. You know what that had vibes of like um Oh rats, now I can't think of the song. We come together from Greece. Yeah. Alright, so that's it. Bye y'all. Bye. Thank you to my dear, dear friend Craig Hudson for our very createful theme music. You can hear more of Craig's music on Spotify under Craig Hudson. That's Hudson with a T. Or you can just uh, click on the link in the show notes. Also, be sure to connect with Make Do on Instagram at Make Do Create or on Facebook at Make Do Cersei. And visit our website, makedocreate.org, for upcoming classes, show notes, to order a face mask, lots of things. We'll be back here with another episode next Monday. Have a good week, y'all.